Hello. Um, tonight we're going to talk about um, the extent to which we expect convergence in moral values between um, humans um, and also for agents more generally. Um, and this can be both um, at a theoretical level, if we could combine our views together in a so-called coherent extrapolated volition or reflective equilibrium, as well as in practice, um, just given political dynamics or um, social trends, culture, things like that. So um, my own view is um, to be more skeptical of convergence than I think many uh, of my colleagues are. Um, I think... Um, there are certainly some human universals that we can see. Um, there's a, a whole list of them compiled by anthropologists, but um, beyond that, there are many, many differences um, in religion, um, in morality, in cultural um, values. Um, even within a culture like within the United States or something, we see wide range of opinions um, between um, different communities. Um, and they're often... Um, many, many minority groups that have fringe views, and those are even harder to reconcile with majority views. Um, so the, the convergence argument might say something like, um, well, so there are two forms of convergence argument. One is kind of the realist argument, which thinks that there are certain moral truths that um, will be um, found once people become smart enough to uncover them, that they exist the same way that mathematical laws exist, and um, once we become smarter, we'll discover more math. And likewise, once we become smarter, we'll discover these fundamental truths of morality. Um, and so there are two problems with this. Um, the first is that moral realism is basically unnecessary to explain anything. It's um, penalized by Occam, Occam's razor because it doesn't add any predictive power to our um, hypotheses. It's not even clear what it would mean for these truths to exist, what causal force do they have? Or if they don't have any causal force, they're very irrelevant to the, to the universe. Um, the second problem is that um, even if moral realism were true, it's not clear why agents would converge on it. Um, in the case of factual truths, agents converge on uh, roughly the same epistemology because those who don't are selected away by evolution um, or fail to achieve their goals. And so um, an agent, a necessary condition of being a successful reproducing agent is to at least have views that work. Um, and as the problems become more complex, views that work requires being views that are more accurate. Um, uh, in order to colonize the galaxy, for example, you need to have fairly accurate beliefs about at least many components of physics and um, the natural world. Um, so, um, but in the case of morality, it's not clear what the um, force would be analogous to Darwinism that would lead to correct moral views. Um, so those are the two main problems with the realist approach. Um, the the anti-realist version of convergence is maybe more plausible. It says something like um, humans have very similar DNA. They um, have um, like very similar um, kind of goals that they're striving for. They're... Um, reward centers and beliefs and desires and um, dreams are fundamentally not too different, especially if you strip away the, um, the um, kind of apparent differences that develop, that develop from culture and from growing apart from each other. If we um, grew up closer together and had more knowledge of where our beliefs came from, uh, where our values came from, um, if we knew more about the world. So for example, if we um, were disabused of our, uh, ideas of um, a soul or supernatural um, um, entities, then 
we would have um, more um, shared moral moral views. Um, and um, so I think there's some force to this argument. Um, there are some moral disagreements that are um, based on factual disagreements um, or based on confused metaphysical ideas. Um, and it's also the case, I suppose, that like people who are uh, more multicultural and more cosmopolitan tend to at least respect other cultures, even if they don't necessarily agree with um, all of the things that they in, that they um, uh, practice. Um, but I think there would still be some fundamental ethical disagreements that would persist. Um, some obvious examples include um, the abortion debate. Um, there are um, atheists, um, atheists who believe that abortion is wrong, not because of some um, notion of a soul that is killed, but just because it's a living creature and they, they feel that life does begin at conception or at some point during um, development. And they um, think that that matters even in a naturalistic way, just like we might care about happiness or um, equality or some other kind of principle that's defined over the natural world. Um, another example could be um, rights versus um, utilitarianism, as we discussed in another video. Another could be just the difference between hedonistic or preference utilitarianism, um, or even more broad values. Um, there's a whole class of consequentialist theories that can value um, beauty or truth or um, equality or um, complexity, um, novelty. Um, Eliezer Yudkowsky has what's called what he calls fun theory, in which he tries to um, suggest the importance of having novel challenges rather than just happiness at the same old um, successes. Um, so we see wide um, kind of divergence in what people um, think is important, um, even among um, the intellectual communities that we're part of, um, like even among the pe people who share basically the same epistemology, basically the same um, background, cultural culture, um, we still see some pretty significant um, differences. And it's not clear that those would be resolved um, upon um, just learning more. Um, so Eliezer Dudkowski has a concept called coherent extrapolated volition, which he says is... Um, a process in which you um, take the values of humanity and imagine what humans would want if they knew more, could think faster, grew up closer together, were more the were more the people they wish they were, and things like that. Um, so, um, um, and then he suggests that this is maybe a good starting point to build an AI. And I agree that in practice, it's um, probably a good approach, or at least um, in theory, it, it would be a theoretically a good approach, uh, if only because it's a way to allow for compromise among many different factions. So this is something that people all over the world could get behind um, rather than fighting over trying to advance their own particular views. But um, in practice, I don't expect that it would lead to a unique outcome. Or if it did lead to a unique outcome, that would probably be more a function of how it was constructed rather than um, an inevitable property of any extrapolation algorithm. There are going to be a lot of contingencies depending on um, what kind of information you present, what kinds of um, theoretical constructs are um, involved. For example, um, just learning about uh, math or physics or something can change your view of the world, even in its ethical implications. For example, people who study evolution may think that evolution is kind of a, a morally significant thing, or people who study computer science might think that complexity is inherently valuable or um, um, like 
So like um, people who study um, economics tend to have this mindset that GDP and economic growth are um, very valuable things. So like what you study and just the kind of principles that are um, that are in your discipline have a big influence on what you tend to value. And um, so like I expect that how, how the knowledge is framed would make a big difference. Maybe the order of presentation would make a big difference. There might be um, primacy and recency effects in terms of um, if people learn something first, they might think that that's more important than the things they learn later. I th in, in general, people are more influenced by um, their experiences when they're young rather than when they're old, and they tend to be set in their ways as they get older and less less influenced by new discoveries. Um, so lots of factors could affect the way that the um, that the collective culture moves. Um, so I suppose one solution to this could be that you do a bunch of different extrapolation processes with different starting conditions, different um, types of knowledge presentation, um, and like different um, ways of exchanging ideas and values and so on. And then these would lead to some distribution of final outputs. And um, then you could look at that distribution and see if there are some peaks that are more um, attractive or some... Um, um, points in meme space that are more convergent and things like that. And um, so that could be one approach um, to deal with the um, um, non-uniqueness of the extrapolation outcome. Um, I guess the other the, the other problem with a CEV approach in practice is that um, I don't expect it to actually be implemented, at least in the full degree of um, <clears throat> Um, elegance that it was intended. Um, <clears throat> in practice, um, political struggles... Um, are much more constrained in what they can accomplish. And like um, CEV is sort of a philosophical or idealized um, outcome, but it's hard to imagine um, agents in the real world um, all uniting behind this ideal. In practice, people are going to um, bargain based on how much power and resources and leverage they have. Um, so um, in practice, this, the outcome would be more messy. And um, maybe the best, maybe an approximation of CEV would be um, democracy. Um, already, democracy somewhat resembles the idea of CEV, where different interest groups are able to push for what they value and um, get some um, contribution to the outcome. Um, so, the, the if um, convergence only is referring to convergence in practical details of, um, like, uh, say, a singleton, um, a unified um, world. Um, implementing some shared policy. Um, that seems um, more plausible and, in fact, um, something that I hope we would work towards. Um, it's, there are still risks, and it's still not at all clear that that would be the result of our future. But I think that's a, a good ideal to work towards. Um, and so if you, if you think of convergence just as a practical, um, um, in the practical sense of do people agree on some compromise, then... Um, there, there's more hope for convergence, and it's um, something that I hope we would work towards. I think there's maybe one option I thought about, like how you could um, reverse those uh, first order presentation effects. Like maybe it's possible to just to create um, similar simulations of you or copies of you that uh, like were presented um, with a different order. But of course, like um, then I uh, realized that. Um, coming from a utilitarian perspective, it's or especially negative feeling perspective, it's probably bad to create those simulations. So, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> even even if you do make a a lot of simulations and have uh, the different uh, have different orders of of the um, 
presented like thought experiments or the stuff you learn about mm. or whatever, um, you still have to decide um, kind of which thing, which information gets presented. And yeah, I mean, there's still there's still kind of lots of um, decisions you have to make about what kind of CEV you want to implement. And um, you mean yeah. too many combinations of um, order orders of knowledge presentation that to implement to simulate everything. Well, no, just that um, you have to decide which one you want to pick yeah, when like, they come out. Oh, of course, of course, but then you have maybe like thousands or something. Then, then you yeah okay. Then you, try you get some distribution, and if there are some that are more common than others, uh -huh. you might pick those. Okay. Yeah. How do you reconcile the uh, preferences of desire and desires of a fanatical Manchester United supporter and a Manchester City supporter, or a fanatical uh, Christian and a fanatical uh, a Muslim? Um, essentially, they're in conflict. They're irreconcilable. Now, one might say, well, if uh, with an idealized uh, preferences, they wouldn't be interested in football or religious fundamentalism at all. But that would rob uh, them of their identity. Um, essentially, I have absolutely no idea how one would set about formally uh, uh, coding uh, this notion of idealized uh, preferences for the world's human population. Um, however, what I can say is that it is possible radically to improve the subjective well-being of all the human and non-human population. And the advantage of aiming in the long term for radical hedonic recalibration is that it doesn't uh, ask people to give up their existing values or preferences, but it does enable them radically to improve their subjective quality of life. Um, in terms of Uh, a convergence versus orthogonality. Um, the lame, boring but necessary answer is I don't know for the long term uh, history, a uh, long term future of the cosmos. Um, but tentatively, I incline to some form of convergence, and that I imagine that if, uh, for example, elsewhere, possibly not in our galaxy or even in our Hubble volume, but if elsewhere uh, uh, natural selection does throw up uh, living organisms that are capable of uh, understanding and eventually rewriting their own genetic source code, they will self-edit themselves to radically enhance their reward circuitry, phase out suffering, uh, and enjoy life based on uh, a gradients of intelligent bliss. Now, what forms that uh, bliss takes, what they'll be blissful about, what their preferences will be, what their conflicts will be, uh, I don't know. But nonetheless, in an purely empirical sense, other things being equal, the, uh, the enjoyable is perceived as much more valuable than the uh, unpleasant. And likewise, states of super happiness and bliss are uh, apprehended as, as, as super valuable. But as I said, there are many possible defeaters here. It's uh, uh, only a, a tentative conjecture. But I would guess that there is some uh, family of uh, ideal states uh, that uh, eventually we will occupy and will not uh, step outside uh, those idealized uh, states because uh, any uh, state outside them would, would be some form of uh, decrement, would be inferior in some way. But as I said, that's, that's a, a conjecture, just a conjecture.
I agree that um, it seems possible that, say, if there are aliens, that they would converge on at least some of the same principles that we have. For example, um, the principle of not um, stealing, not murdering, not causing harm to others um, should be fairly convergent in the sense that um, it's um, something that emerges from um, a cooperative uh, social environment. Um, so if they are social animals, um, they will in the long run um, have greater fitness from developing these kinds of norms. Um, of course, the um, exact details, as David said, of their preferences, their culture, and so on may be very different. Um, even their um, subjective experiences may be far from what we would consider happiness or suffering. Um, but they, they still have goals and drives and preferences. Um, and so these norms about not violating preferences are, are perhaps um, likely to be um, fairly common. Um, it seems as though suffering is um, convergently useful and those organisms or um, agents that are able to experience negative um, 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 events are um, better able to avoid things that they should avoid. And there's um, the ability to use suffering against happiness seems to more efficiently um, motivate organisms to do what's um, better helps them survive compared against just different levels of happiness. Um, it's much harder to like avoid falling off a cliff if all that's motivating you is that it's more fun to do something else and in contrast to feeling extreme fear at the prospect. Um, so I expect that suffering um, will, will not go away, although we can make great strides towards reducing it. Is this borne out by, you know, something like chess? And I routinely play chess against my chess computer. It would not uh, help it in any way if, if one were to start painting on feelings, emotions and anxieties. Um, uh, yes, in the case of biological robots, uh, phenomenal pain uh, often does seem to play this uh, information processing role, but uh, equally in silicon and presumably uh, other substrates too, this, this doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, at least, apparently, it's just some incidental implementation feature. Um, that one there are, uh, that silicon robots uh, can uh, exhibit nociception and uh, negative feedback and all the advantages at least apparently that biological uh, robots uh, governed by the pleasure pain axis reinforcement learning uh, do well I think um, th depending on how you define hedonic experience you could say that your ch chess program um, has some very very weak form of hedonic experience, but more That's a broadly, key point. It's worth uh, stressing this, you know, in terms of where we obviously we agree on a lot, but that's quite a key point and probably worth your, your restating that you, you're, you're arguing that uh, software uh, running on your, your computer actually is actually undergoing some form of hedonic experience. It's a very weak form and it's not, um, it's not as though, um, it's not in the same way as you would say that it's a, a feeling of what it's like to be that agent, but it's more, that's a process happening and it has some very big and broad similarities to what happens in more intelligent agents when they suffer. Um, and I, I also think that um, more advanced computers, um, to be able to do the more advanced things that humans have, including um, combining novel information in ways that are not pre-programmed um, and um, being able to um, really care about long-term decisions and so on. In that case, um, the ability to suffer is, is important.
and and to consciously suffer in ways that are closer to what we call hedonic in the sense of having a, a negative um, um, signal that's um, made made aware to the agent in a broader sense. I think it would be a very profound result in computer science and AI if one were to show that the raw textures of suffering uh, played some uh, indispensable computational functional role. Um, I said personally, I don't think this is the case. As far as I can tell, one could implement, you know, think of our core emotions, most of which are uh, negative. One can implement each of, each of them in silico without apparently any of the nasty uh, raw feels. Um, but you're right, if it were the case that I'm mistaken, perhaps catastrophically mistaken, and classical digital computers and software they run uh, can suffer, it would make it much, much harder, I agree, to phase out uh, uh, suffering, voluntary suffering, because one of the obvious ways to uh, get rid of, uh, of the nasty and mundane stuff of Darwinian life is to offload it onto smart prostheses. But if those prostheses, in some sense, do mediate suffering, and I'm, perhaps I'm not expressing this this very well, but I think what, what would one have to say that uh, the prosthesis, the module encapsulated negative experience or something like that, then um, yes, this would uh, radically sabotage uh, the project. Um, yeah, it would mean one could only, uh, if one, insofar as one wants to phase out all involuntary suffering, one would have to aim for uh, gradients of bliss, whereas, uh, I said, uh, another not mutually exclusive route is to go for these smart in inorganic prostheses. Well, I think we could still care less about those inorganic prostheses, despite not, um, not um, caring, despite caring about them still to a non-zero degree. Um, it depends how similar they are to what we regard as suffering, and in general, once we understand the algorithms better, it um, may be more apparent that some things seem just more important than others. And so it's certainly possible that you could build prostheses that um, are much less um, disvaluable than when we when our biological um, tissues um, undergo negative experiences.